You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. And that's a choice. And as I was thinking about that, I was also thinking about Psalm 77. And I thought, man, that really was where, where this psalm is at, too. Because sometimes life kicks you in the teeth and throws you a curveball. And you have a decision to make. I have a decision to make. Am I going to run from faith? Or am I going to run to faith? Okay? So, the day of trouble is something that unfortunately none of us can avoid. Uh, the day of trouble is going to come upon us. And that's what this psalm talks about, is the day of trouble. Now, Psalm 77, just for introduction here, is written by a man named Asaph. All right? Have any of you ever heard of Asaph before? Okay, a few of you. All right. So Asaph, I looked this up. I'm going to help us out here a little bit. I looked him up in the Bible dictionary. Asaph was a Levite, one of the leaders of David's choir. Psalms 50, as well as Psalms 73, all the way through 83, are attributed to Asaph. He is mentioned along with David as being skilled in music, and he was a seer. And I had to look that up too. A seer is someone who is gifted with unique vision. And and I think we're going to see that play out as we look at the psalm that he wrote here. Uh, the sons of Asaph are mentioned in several points of the Old Testament, and those were either his descendants or more probably a class of poets or singers who recognized Asaph as their master. Okay, that's the that's the Bible dictionary uh, explanation of who Asaph is. Um, when you read through Asaph's psalms, you'll find out real quick about this about him. He was not afraid to be very very honest about his doubts and his struggles with faith. Um, He left us a couple souvenirs in the Bible, uh, which demonstrate his vulnerability and his authenticity as a struggling believer. And we're also left with a pretty good pattern of of humbling oneself before God as he he works out his thoughts through these things. And believe it or not, those, those things that he wrote became songs of prayer for the people of God. Uh, how would you like to have your your struggles in your faith um, memorialized for future generations to use as hymns <laughs> or praise songs when they gather for worship? So that's, that's Asaph, all right? Let's look at Psalm 77. We'll read through it real quick, and then we're going to talk about it. It's for the choir director, according to Jaduthan, a psalm of Asaph. My voice rises to God, and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remembered God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. Selah. You have held my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion. Selah. 
Then I said, It's my grief that the right hand of the Most High is changed. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you, and they were in anguish. The deeps also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, and your paths in the mighty waters, and your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock. By the hand of Moses and Aaron. No Selah after that one. <laughs> but as we've been working through the Psalms, part of the part of what we've been doing here is we've been we called this series Selah, and we understand that word to mean stop and and weigh the matter. I think that's a good way to define that. Stop and weigh the matter. And there's three matters that Asaph put before us here. He says, stop and weigh those things. And, and we're going to look at those in just a minute and talk about them a little bit. And then he concluded the psalm by going back into a story from the Old Testament and adding some insight from that that, that perhaps we haven't noticed before. But here is the first, the first pause that he gives to us in this, this psalm, and it's seeking God in the days of my trouble. Remember what he was saying there? Did he sound a little bit distressed in the beginning, those first three verses of this psalm? And he says, I'm going to seek God in the days of my trouble, and he's going to hear me. You know, he is going to hear me. That means he says, I, I, I'm serious. I want to talk to God, and he is going to hear my voice. It felt like that. So what I want you to do is at your tables, just take a couple minutes, and not everybody has to share, but maybe a couple of you, and and share um, an example of a day of trouble. Uh, one that made you go, come on, God, what's going on here? Okay, takes a little vulnerability. Asaph is doing that for us as he goes through uh, these psalms that he's read, and we get the opportunity to do that together now. So uh, just share a little bit of what's a day of trouble that you can recall. Maybe you walk through it, or maybe you watch somebody else walk through it. Go ahead and share. Well, Yeah, 
Okay, I know I'm interrupting somebody. Thank you for sharing. I know that was a heavy thing to probably unload at the table, but here's something I think hopefully we all learned as we were doing this. Everybody has them. When it comes to days of trouble, we all have them. And even if we've lived a charmed life, at some point, uh, the day of trouble does come along. And it's really good that you guys are talking about it. And I know, like I said, I probably interrupted somebody. I would encourage you, when we're all done here tonight, to maybe say, Hey, you remember you were talking about... I want to hear the rest of that story. And uh, and I want to encourage you guys. You know, Part of the reason we sit at tables is, is not just because it's it's, I don't know, cool or something Uh, we do it because it builds it builds these relationships it builds these connections that that we need as the body of christ to be real honest with one another and and then to pray for one another and to take care of one another because that really is the job of christ's body to do that so here's a couple things that comes out of this psalm in in the second verse um Asa said, my soul refused to be comforted. Now, I don't know what his day of trouble was exactly, but I, I just know this much, is that he, he could find no comfort. Uh, and, and so his, the only thing he could do is he could turn to God. He had, he had troubles, he had a troubled mind, and that's what we do with troubled minds. We turn him to God. Uh, but I think what we learn from Asa here is that the reality of doubt, okay, should not be denied, you know? And I think it's easy for us to do sometimes because, hey, we're supposed to be people of faith. Why am I doubting? And so when these doubts come up and we're questioning and that, we, we sometimes, I think, want to sweep them under the rug and that doesn't solve the problem at all. In fact, it just makes them worse. So what we got to do with our doubts is we just got to squarely recognize them and we got to face them. And, and we have to face them with this question, is God... Bigger than my doubts. That's that's what Esau wanted to know in his day of trouble. So in, in the third verse, he says, "When I remember God, then I am disturbed." <laughs> now think about that phrase for a minute. He's having a tough time in life, and then he says, "And then I remember God, and it doesn't make me feel better." You know, it's, God's not this this magic spell. Oh, okay, well, just think of God and everything's going to get all better and it'll be all hunky-dory, right? Remember Job? He never did get his questions answered. He just got harder questions that he couldn't answer. And he, and he still didn't know exactly what God was up to and why things happened the way that they happened. And, and, and that's where Asaph was. He says, I, I just don't get it. And now I'm here at night and I can't sleep and I start thinking about God and, and I think about what's happening in my life and, and I'm even more disturbed as I, as I face that. You know, it's funny how trouble makes us theological. 
Now, here's the mistake. It's, it's a good thing to take our troubles and, and to turn to God, but we make the mistake of trying to make God logical. And, and we want God to make sense with all the troubles and the struggles that we might go through there. And, and that's where Asaph starts to go with this. You might remember, he says, my mind pondered on these things. And the NET, the, the New English translation, renders that really well to help us understand that. He says, I tried to make this make sense. And, and isn't that human stuff? <laughs> when, when God steps into our life and uh, we don't understand what he's doing, then we automatically want God to make sense. And, well, that just doesn't work. We're going to see that here in a little bit. You see, the problem is, is that there's no human theology that's ever going to be able to explain God's ways perfectly. You know, a lot of people in Jesus' day, you go back and read the Gospels, they probably could not see the sense in their infirmities, their leprosy, their blindness. But Jesus did eventually step into their lives, and he stepped into their brokenness. But we're still left with, still left with that uncomfortable idea that he did not do that for everybody. He did it for a few, but not for everybody. Do you remember the parable that Jesus uh, told about Lazarus, the poor man? who sat outside the rich man's gate, and Lazarus died in his poverty. God never stepped in in this lifetime of Lazarus and said, hey, I'm going to make you rich. I'm going to, I'm going to solve all your financial woes. I'm going to send you to, uh, who is that guy that uh, does all the, the financial? Joel Osteen? No, not Joel Osteen. Ramsey, yeah, I'm going to send you to a Dave Ramsey thing, Lazarus, and everything's going to be great after that. And you get to cut your credit card. No, that never happened. Lazarus lived a poor man, and Lazarus died a poor man. Sometimes that's how life is. But where did Lazarus end up? Because of his faith. It was described as Abraham's bosom. And, and that was the, the place of rest, the perfect place of rest in the presence of God. The rich man, okay, uh, he passed he passed Lazarus every day. And the rich man, he, life was great. Nothing ever stunk for him. And, and he died, but where did he end up? Not Abraham's bosom. No, he ended up in a place of torment. You know, and so sometimes I wonder, you know, does God not solve problems like Lazarus's? Not because he's testing Lazarus, but maybe he's testing the rich man. Does God sometimes allow life to really stink for his faithful people because he's giving the unfaithful an opportunity to step into their lives and learn more about who this God is that we follow? That's a question that, uh, that, that kind of lays out there. Well, that takes us to the second Selah. We get the verses, I think it was 7, 6, no, 5 through 9 or something like that. And in, in this section, we're going to see six questions that kept Asaph up all night. Okay? Well, all he's tossing and turning, he, he just rattled off these questions. Okay? And uh, if you look down, you'll see those questions in verses 7 through 9. Okay, do you remember those? Will the Lord reject forever? It, 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 will He ever be favorable again? Will, has His loving kindness ceased forever? 
Has His promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten how to be gracious? Or has He, in His anger, withdrawn His compassion? All these questions He's asking, I'll pretty much sum up into one thing, and that is love. Does God really love me? You know, you can ask that a million different ways. Asaph chose six. But he was basically saying, does God really love me? Because I'm looking at my circumstances right now, and I'm thinking, I don't think he does. I think somehow he's flipped the switch, and, and this is no longer going on. Now again, remember seventy-seven or verse uh, or chapter 77, verse 6, um, he, he said, my spirit pondered, or I tried to make sense of this. Um, I think something we have to learn to understand is that trying to make sense of God with our limited capabilities is nonsense. Because here's what we're doing. We are trying to set limits to a limitless God with our limited brains. Uh, we have to come to the, the, the conclusion that God is God. Either he fits in a box and he's no longer God, or he's so much bigger than we are that 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 sometimes we're not going to get all our questions answered. Sometimes we're not we're not going to we're not going to make sense of the things that God is doing. I mean, you know what nonsense is, right? Uh, nonsense is something like this. Um, what does the color seven smell like? Well, that depends. <laughs> yeah, because that's a nonsense question. Because you know you just totally change the definitions of everything uh, by asking that, and and we're kind of trying to do the same thing with God when we ask those kind of questions. But but here's the here's the thing. I think we get it right. The hard things in life don't make sense sometimes, do they? Why 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 did that happen to Joe? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Uh, they tried to, his buddies tried to make sense out of it by saying, well, you must have sinned, Job. You must have really screwed up. You know, and so we see how human theology comes in and it's totally missing the mark of what's going on. They don't know the bigger picture that's happening spiritually beyond what, what's going on in Job's life. And, and we're doing the same thing. We're, we're trying to see things that our eyes don't have the capability of seeing or our brains have the capability of understanding. But, but here's something else. Sometimes the good things God does don't make any sense either. My dad, when I was 16, was diagnosed with cancer, lung cancer. And as a 16-year-old kid, I was not a follower of Jesus Christ. I believed that a God made everything. That's about all I knew about God at that point in my life. And when I found out my dad had lung cancer, the only thing I knew is I didn't want to be orphaned at 16. And the only thing I knew what to do with that was to talk to this God I did not know. You know, and then basically what I said to him as a 16 year old kid was, Hey, I, you know, I believe that you made everything and that's, I, that's all I know. Okay. And if you're powerful enough to do that, then I, I think you're powerful enough to, to help my dad. So, uh, that's what I'm asking. Could you, could you help my dad? And I don't deserve to ask this. Somehow I had that sense in my head that I did not deserve to ask that, but I said, if you could help my dad. Uh, a few months later, we'd gone through all the biopsies. He did have lung cancer. They just didn't know how much and, and exactly what form they were going to find until they actually went in and started started getting it out of there. And the day of the surgery, this is kind of interesting. My mom did not want me to come to the hospital and sit there. She, she thought, it's not going to be good for you to just miss a day of school and be all angsty and all that kind of thing. So apparently, in my mom's wisdom, it was better for me to go to school and be all angsty. 
Uh, so, so I'm sitting there in the middle of the day, this blizzard moves in. We were supposed to get some snow, but it decided to turn into a blizzard. Who figured? And they called off school. So I hightailed it down to the hospital, sat there with my mom and waited, and the doctor came out, and he just looked beat, and he looked exhausted. Now, this is back in 1977, you know. Now that they do a surgery, they only have to make an incision about this big to get in there. They opened up my dad from the sternum to the scapula, and then put a rib spreader in and everything. Doctor comes out, sits down, takes a big deep breath, and he says, well, we took out 30% of Ron's right lung. It looked like the inside of a chimney inside there. Um, he was coughing up a lot of blood. You remember that? I'm going, yeah, it's pretty hard to forget that. Well, what had happened is he had pneumonia and an abscess formed on the lung wall and, and the lung wall sealed together and then tore and that's where the blood was coming from. And that's what got us looking and, and to find out that he actually had cancer in his lungs. And we're like, yeah, okay. And he, he put his head down for a minute and then he looked back up and he said, we didn't find cancer. And both my mom are like, what? And he says, we went in knowing there was cancer there. We just didn't know how much or exactly what kind we're going to find. But he says, we, we found no cancer. We took out tissue we're going to send in for, for biopsies, but I saw nothing that looked like cancer. And my dad smoked uh, since he was 14 years old. He deserved to have cancer, <laughs> you know? But the doctor came out and said, this makes no sense to me medically. There's no cancer. And that was a good thing. Let me tell you, <laughs> you know, when I was 22 years old and uh, I, I, I finally came to the cross and asked Jesus to forgive my sins, I, I knew he could do it because he healed my dad. You know, that, that, was my, that was my reference point for that. But still to this day, that makes no sense to me that that happened because... We didn't deserve it. And if you think about it, what's the best thing that ever could have happened to you? Jesus went to a cross and died for your sins. He took your place so that you wouldn't have to. And he did that while we were still enemies. He did that when we, did, when we never deserved it. Best thing that ever happened to us. And I can't make any sense that he would love us that much to do that for us. So you see, there's the thing. God doesn't make sense when bad things happen. doesn't make sense when the good things happen either because it's so much bigger than we are. Okay, And then we get down to this question. Fundamentally, the question that Asaph is asking there isn't so much about God's ability, but God's character. God, do you, do you love me? That's the question he needed to have answered. We hear these questions all the time, and I think we have to understand that there's a vast difference between what people think about God and who God really is. And thankfully, Psalm 77 doesn't end with that question unanswered. It, it goes on. So then we get to the third Selah, and the third Selah, we're gonna see, we're gonna see some answers that reminded Asaph of who God is. He said this in the 12th verse, he says, uh, all right, I'm, I'm done trying to solve all the problems in my head. So instead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ponder these things, and I'm going to meditate on these things. And in verse 12, it tells us what he meditated on. He says, I'm going to meditate on all of your work. 
man, that's a big task. <laughs> Asaph says, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning <laughs> and I'm going to meditate on all of the work that I know that you have done. And this really is the critical application from this entire psalm. And that's for us to learn the discipline of meditation. Okay? So, when you hear the term meditation, what do you typically think of? What, what's usually the first thing that pops into your mind? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> I got a better response than I thought. That was pretty good. I should have took a pull. Yeah, you, you see somebody sitting there in the lotus position, you know, the legs all crossed. You got the, yeah, this, and he's going, palm. You know, and, and do you know what they're supposed to be doing while they're just doing that home? Emptying your mind. Okay. Now, for some of us, that's not a hard task. Okay. <laughs> but but in Eastern meditation, this is Eastern meditation. The idea is empty your mind. Biblical meditation is entirely different. It's the complete reverse of that. What biblical meditation is is filling your mind. Now, what's the best thing to fill your mind with? That, that's an audience participation question. I mean, you don't have to talk at the tables. You can all share. Uh, what's the best thing to fill your mind with? God's Word. Okay. Love of life. Love of life. Okay. Uh, Philippians 4.8. Whatever is honorable, worthy. You know, I, I can't remember it now. I should have memorized that, song, that, that verse. But you can look at it. Philippians 4.8. Think on these things. You know, and, and those things are all, again, going back to who is God and what has he done? You know, so if you're finding yourself in a day of trouble like Asaph was, then the best thing we can do is rather than trying to make God make sense, is we go back to his word, we go back to the record of what he has done, and we ponder those things. Uh, basically, we're going back to God's resume. Now, what happened for Asaph is it led him to going to a time when God showed up in a pinch to deliver Israel. Now, if you're at a point where you're thinking, God, do you love me? Have you forgotten what it's like to be gracious? Um, God, I haven't tasted your mercy in this situation. Then maybe what we need to do is to consider how God has already demonstrated that he is mighty to save. And when that happens, that can calm our troubled minds and, and show us that, that he is able and that his grace is sufficient for each and every day. So let's go to the closing stanza. Because this is where all of a sudden it gets real flowery and poetic. And we see that Asaph uses a lot of the same language that we've seen in, in David's Psalms earlier on. Um, verses uh, 16 on. He had just said, okay, God, I, I have seen that you have demonstrated your power. You even showed the peoples, that, that meant the Gentiles, the unbelieving nations. You even showed to them that you were strong. And, and then he gives us a very specific reference to when he had done that, and it's Egypt. Um, God said he was going to show Egypt that he was God. And he showed Israel at the same at the same time. And that's something we have to understand is that all around us, even when life is really getting difficult, we don't see the answers for it. We don't see the solutions for the situations that we're in. What God is doing is making himself known to the nations. And when he makes himself known to the unbelieving nations, he's also making himself known to us as his as his chosen people as well. Okay. Now, how do we know that he's talking about Egypt and how do we know that he's talking about the Red Sea? Well, let's go to the language again. Verse 16. Remember, you're reading poetry. Okay. So this is very figurative stuff. 
The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you, and they were in anguish. Okay, the waters is often a poetic reference for the nations. Okay. The deeps also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound, thunder, booming and roaring. The arrows flashed here and there. That's lightning. The sound of your thunder was in this whirlwind. I can only think of a tornado whenever I see that whirlwind. Lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Now he's using this, this language to show us that something huge was happening here. And it was God showing up. And then he says, your way was in the sea. And, and you can interpret that a couple different ways. And, and one way is this is, God, your answer for Israel was in the sea. And your path was in the mighty waters. Your footprints may not be known. And, and that another way of rendering it, your footprints may not be known is, is that we could not see you in the midst of it. And then you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And that's our big clue that he drops there. Moses and Aaron. So, this is what I want to encourage you to do sometime this week. Spend time in Psalm 77. Meditate. And then go back to Exodus 14. And read that story. Because here's Israel. They've just been redeemed out of slavery. And, you know, if you've read the book of Exodus, that's a, that's a pretty powerful redemption that occurred there. And they're on their way out of Egypt. It did not take long for them, once they departed Egypt, to start complaining. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> Typical human nature. Good representation of us. It didn't take them long to forget the mighty works that God had done. And they're, they're fleeing Egypt. And they're, they're going along. And all of a sudden, hey, there's, there's the Red Sea. And we don't have boats. Yeah. And then someone said, hey, look behind us. And they looked, turned around and looked, and guess what? Here comes Pharaoh with 600 chariots. Okay, He's thundering after them. He, re, he, he regretted his decision to let them go, and he says, I'm going to go get them, and, 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 and we might even wipe them out. Let's, let's go. And so the Egyptian army's on them. So here they are. You've heard that term between a rock and a hard place? This is where Israel is. They're between Egypt's army and an uncrossable sea. And I love their response. Their response was to fall on their faces before Moses and say, please intercede for us that we might be able to get out of this situation. No, that's not what they said. You go back and read that. They didn't say anything like that. Instead, they said, what, there weren't enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to die? Now, I laugh at that and I chuckle at that, but how often do I develop that same attitude as soon as life goes wonky on me? What, God? You know... You had to do this. <laughs> so Moses, he's, he doesn't even have the answer right away. So he turns around and says, God, what do we do here? And so God says, here's what you're going to do. And he explained to him everything that he had to do. And, and this is the picture we usually get. Now, haven't, you've all probably grown up with either the Prince of Egypt, which was a fantastic animation, right? Or some of us older folks remember Charlton Heston. <laughs> As Moses, okay, let my people go. Yeah, that was great. All right, so yeah, we have this picture of Moses taking a staff and he either raises it up over the water or he sticks it down and the water goes there. And we go, man, Moses is awesome. (laughs) Well, Psalm 77 just gave us a different picture of what happened at the Red Sea that Exodus 14 didn't clue us in on. 
Not only did God separate Egypt from Israel by getting in between them as the pillar of flame and fire, that might have been that mighty whirlwind that Asaph referred to, but he was also the first one in the water. He led his people like a shepherd. And the only way I know how this can work is God is a triune God. So somehow the angel of God and his physical presence was in that whirlwind of fire and and smoke separating Israel from their destruction. And it was probably his Holy Spirit because it said it blew as a mighty wind and the seas parted. And that's a great parallel for what's happening for you and I in our lives as well because you see Jesus... The physical manifestation of God in human flesh got between us and our sin. He got between us and the thing that would destroy us. And the Holy Spirit is leading us from that point on through the waters. Have you ever laid eyes on the Holy Spirit? Not me either. There's a reason we call him the Holy Ghost. You don't see ghosts. You know, we, we can't perceive spiritual things as we are now. But we know that He's making the way for us. We know that He's doing that. And we know that because there's this ugly thing called the cross. There's this point of redemption where God showed that He was mighty to save us from the worst thing we could possibly face. Israel went through the Red Sea. You can imagine getting to the other side and watching the waters close in on the Egyptian army. I'm going, whoa. (laughs) Man, if God can do that, God can do anything. You know the rest of the story. It didn't take them long to start grumbling and complaining again, trying to make God make sense in their own minds. And we're the same way. We can look back at the cross and say, man, if, if, if God can do that, then he can get me through anything. He can get me through anything that life throws at me. And that's truth. The problem is, is we get so easily distracted. We get our minds somewhere else. And the only answer we have is the same answer Asaph had. I've got to go back and meditate. I've got to go back and dig. I've got to go back and be reminded of who this God is. Because man, if God loved me enough to take my place on a cross, He'll love me through this thing, even when I can't feel it. Even when I can't feel it. So, let me wrap it up with this. I'd like to challenge you to do a couple things this week. One, Get your Bible out and start reading about the things that God has done. Be reminded of the things that God has done. If you're looking at a situation where you feel like it's you're between a rock and a hard place, um, you need to be reminded of what God is capable of. Uh, the Israelites, I'm sure, thought, well, this is impossible. We're in a dilemma. We can't cross this sea, and here comes an army. You know, they were hopeless. And, and sometimes I think that's what God wants us to understand, is that, is that we don't have the capability within ourselves to, to fix things. But he can. 
And if we've forgotten how good he is at fixing things, then we need to go back and read his resume and spend some time being reminded of who this God is. Asaph said it. There is no God as great as our God. He was already starting to figure it out, even in the middle of his questions. So, get back to the Bible and see what God has done. The second thing I I, I would ask you to do is spend some time reviewing God's demonstrations of mercy and grace throughout your life, as well as some of the people that you walk with. Again, that's why we have you share at these tables, because, you know, Nathan might say something that I really need to hear. Nathan might have experienced something that God has done in his life that that I have not experienced. And now that I know that Nathan has experienced, I know that it's possible. And, And again, that's why community is so important. And we need that just as much as we need the Word of God. We need to be in this together and walking through this together. So that's your assignment as well as keep reading through Psalm 77 and keep digging, because I couldn't answer all the questions. You can come back on Sunday and hear what Brian has to say. He'll give another perspective of this psalm as well. But for us tonight, I think we should pray. So let me pray. And uh, again, the psalms are a prayer uh, written in in the form of a song. Uh, Learn how to read the psalm and learn how to pray them back. And uh, and I'm going to try to do a little bit of that tonight. So let's just pray. Jesus... Uh, there are days and, and there are sleepless nights when our, our situation or our circumstances make it difficult uh, to perceive clearly who you are. Uh, we admit that our brokenness makes it hard to understand your perfection. Lord, it's so easy for me to question your love and sometimes even doubt your grace. Lord, would you remind me and, and my, my friends here tonight, would you remind us again of your relentless love and your fierce commitment to come to our rescue at the cross? Lord, you did not have to do that. But something in your character compelled you to rescue us from our sins. And Lord, if we've forgotten just how deep and how rich your mercy is and how it was demonstrated through your grace at the cross, then then my prayer is remind us again. Lord, make yourself known to us in the testimonies of your written word as well as the testimonies of faithful people that we might endure beyond our own doubts, those doubts that make us stagger. And Lord, as you remind us of who you are, help us to to stand more sure and more confident as we walk with you. And Lord, there might be troubled waters ahead of us that we yet don't know anything about. God, help us to stand sure today so that when those difficult days come, we can look back and say, oh yeah, there is no God like our God. Lord, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thank you, everybody. Uh, Please continue into a restful weekend, uh, a worshipful weekend. And uh, if uh, you have difficult days, days of trouble like Asaph was having right there, and you're working through the questions, 
and uh, that sort of thing. Don't do it alone. Uh, I encourage you. Uh, do it with your table mates sometime, maybe this weekend even. Or give Brian a call or myself a call. Uh, we'd be more than happy to have him sit down and have a cup of coffee with you this week and, and talk about those things and pray with you as we walk through those things together. But be blessed and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.